The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Where I feel pretty good is like with my short-term savings and kind of retirement savings where I struggle a little bit is within like what I'm supposed to be doing and the rest of it. <laughs> Both <laughs> as far as like what those goals are. Hello and welcome to Financials Podcast Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty and I'm your host and I'm also a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And I am here this morning with my guest, Penny. Hi, Penny. Hi. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So do you want to tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, how old you are, where you live, what you do, all that jazz? Sure. So um, I'm 37. I live in Washington, D.C., and I work for a small residential interior design firm. Oh, so cool. Yeah, it is fun. Gosh, interior design is so hard. (laughs) It's, It's a lot. You know, there's a lot of the fun stuff and also just a lot of like decisions tracking things and making sure they fit and all the details so yeah gosh I really struggle with interior design (laughs) to be hard Um, as you know I'm renovating my apartment in New York and so oh yeah I've you post some things but I wasn't sure if that was out in Utah or New York or where it was yeah that's New York and there are so many questions and also why are there so many whites why is there like (laughs) five uh, yeah, you know, we basically just like pick three that we like and only use them because it just otherwise is totally overwhelming. So it's completely overwhelming. I like spent hours on Pinterest trying to find out what people thought was like the best white, like just as your like baseline, like if you wanted to paint a wall white, like what's the best white? Because if you don't know this and you're listening, there are four, literally not joking, like probably 4,000 options of white. Yeah. Yeah. And it's they all need to do different things, but I, I don't know that I actually trust anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's really fun. Okay. Perfect. Um, and then single, married, single, um, I rent right now. Okay. Um, homeownership is potentially on the horizon. So that's something to talk about. Um, and I make a base salary of one ten a year. Perfect. And you sent over, now I always say it's not required, but you sent over a very pretty spreadsheet. Wow. Thank you. I, I love a good spreadsheet. So. Me, yeah, me too. Um, it does for, um, help make me, it makes it a little easier for me because I'm not like hectically writing everything down as you're telling me. Sure. <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Okay. So you're bringing in 110,000. So your, gro- your monthly gross is $9,166. And then I love that you put in the taxes. So your taxes are too... It's scary to see, but... (laughs) So your your taxes are are $2,508. We have to, you know, share with the government. A lot of people don't add that in. Um, It's it's interesting to see it. It's a good chunk, huh? Yeah, it is. I mean, this year I got a little bit of a healthy return, which is always a little concerning. Like, I'm never sure if that's 
a good thing or a bad thing. So, but it, it was nice to get it back. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. I think it's always better to get something back than, Oh, no one, yeah. no one likes to owe. No, I agree. I just, you know, you hear the whole thing about like, you don't want to be loaning the government money, but I just, I get nervous about like making adjustments to my deductions and all that. Yeah. I was going to say, if it's like a super large amount Mm -hmm. and you're like significantly overpaying, that's when I think you should adjust it. But if it's like a normal, like you get a thousand dollars back or a couple hundred dollars back or even 15, $2,000, it's probably not worth messing with it, in my opinion. Right. Because you didn't loan them that much. Yeah. So then for you, it's like kind of like found money versus, yeah, if at the end of the year you get like $12,000 back, well, yeah, we probably need to. Right. <laughs> right. Because right? that's a lot of money to have the government have for that yeah. period of time. So I just think it's like a borderline of like what's worth messing with it versus what's not. Right. Like how much did you really loan them? Yeah, because I definitely think it's better to get something back than to uh, like to get yeah. to tax time and then always owe a couple thousand. I agree. It's a nice little you know something you didn't expect and hopefully can put back into savings or something. Yeah, or do something fun with. Um, okay, so yeah, I would leave that alone as long as it's not a, an absorbent okay. refund. Um, okay, and then you're doing into your retirement, you're doing twelve percent, and you have it split between um, the traditional four hundred one k option and the Roth four hundred one k option. Correct. Yeah. Perfect. And then health insurance. So yeah, that's the portion that I pay every month about two thirty-seven. Okay, that's great. Yeah, not too bad. I actually was on like the healthcare exchange until this past uh, January, so it's less than I was paying before, which is nice. What but were you paying before? I'm just curious. I was paying. I guess it was about four hundred, maybe, but it was all you know, coming out, like I just, I paid it out of my net income. So I, I assume it somehow impacted my taxes because I had to file some sort of form, you know, showing what I paid, but it never really felt like it made much of a difference. So it's at least, at least nice to have it um, coming out pre-tax right now. Yeah. Coming out through payroll. Yeah. And also a lower amount. Yeah. I'm making an assumption, but probably better coverage. Usually you get better coverage. through. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I find them all to be not that great. Not that great? Um, Yeah. But uh, it's, it's fine. It's like a slightly lower deductible. So, um, you know, just kind of go in hoping that for the best. And it does um, make me eligible for an HSA, which I've never had before. And so I'm, that's kind of a new thing that you'll see in my Yes. Savings that I'm trying to do. So we don't do that through our payroll. We just uh, do it separately. And then I, my understanding is that at the end of the year, again, I'll submit something with my taxes. Um, yes, you will. And you'll get, you'll get a tax. Yeah. So I'm hoping to kind of just like max that out every okay. year and in theory, use it later as like a, you know, long-term savings as opposed to actually paying for medical expenses out of it but obviously all comes with whatever happens in the future so yeah I would definitely max it out because it is a, a, a tax break for it and mm-hmm. if you end up not using it for medical needs you can it always it kind of turns into a retirement savings yeah. for you sounds like so yeah they're great so yeah I would definitely max that out um so then with your savings so, the, so you're netting after taxes retirement you know 401k health insurance mm-hmm. $5,320 and 14 cents. And so then we have your savings goals. 
which includes the HSA because that's not done through work, it's done outside of work. Um, so you have your HSA, your brokerage, your travel, and then your nest. I call, yeah, I call it like a little nest fund, you know. Um, <laughs> I like to just kind of squirrel away money for like one day if I want to buy a piece of furniture or mm -hmm. just kind of things that, um, I don't know, it, it, a little bit of like a rainy day fund, I guess, so. Perfect. Yeah. However, yeah, we everyone calls it something different. So yeah, that's fine. So that adds up to be uh, $1,220. And mm -hmm. then we have your fixed expenses. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I'll say is I, about probably five years ago, started using the app, You Need a Budget. Which yes. I and so I kind of, this is like how I break down my spending within You Need a Budget. Um, so I essentially break it out. Fixed expenses, obviously there are a few things in here like television and music that if I was like, you know, really hurting, I could take away. But it's more that every month they are the exact same price. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I, I kind of even those out at the end of the month. Um, so I break it out between like fixed expenses, variable expenses, where there are things that I don't necessarily use that money every month, but I put it aside because I know like during the course of the year, I'll need to pull on it. So things like auto registration and, you know, groceries might be like higher one month, but lower another. So they're just kind of like building up funds to use throughout the year. Yeah. I think that's a great way to do it because as you said, the variable expenses fluctuate. And so some yeah. months will be higher, some months will be lower, some months you won't have them, right? right. Like if you pay your car insurance twice a year, yeah. Um, but you know that you're going to spend the money. Yeah. And then kind of the rest is just like spending money. So, um, yeah, my fixed expenses right now, I don't have a car payment, which is amazing. Um, car insurance is about 125 health insurance. I pay for a separate, uh, vision plan. So that's okay. about $13. My rent is really reasonable right now at 16. I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. I'm in, reasonable. Uh, yeah, I'm in a rent-controlled building, which most of the old buildings in D.C. are. And I honestly think since I've been here, like, almost eight years, my rent's probably gone up maybe, like, $150 in that, that time. So it's very reasonable, um, which is great, but it kind of makes it uh, – it, it poses some, like, conflict within myself when I'm thinking about purchasing and, like, how Buy much I can afford because – the idea of spending that much more on a, you know, monthly mortgage is just kind of hard to stomach when I look at some of the pricing. So something to discuss. And then like phone and internet is about like 136 and then television and music like 27. So my kind of fixed expenses every month are like 1946 and then variable expenses, you know, it's everything from like I put away a little bit every month for like auto maintenance, auto registration, mm -hmm. gas and transportation, gifts, giving, uh, groceries, health and wellness, which is like, um, you know, workout stuff and also um, working with like a therapist, home supplies, laundry, medical memberships and subscriptions, personal care, renter's insurance. And that comes to about 1700 a month. Perfect. So then I'm left with about like 454 every month for just kind of like general spending, which seems right. low at the same time, like all of my, you know, like skincare, 
and things like that are like covered. So it's right. Nice. So you did your fixed your variable and that's after savings. Yes. Yep. Right. Cause we have 12, $1,220 into savings, not including your 401k. Correct. And then after that, you have the 454 left yeah. over. So really, if we're being honest, that goes towards dining out and buying clothes. <laughs> so. yeah. And I can see where you have your, everything works pretty smoothly. You have excess every month and you're able to like do, it seems like do everything you want and you're also saving a lot. So I right. can see where when it comes to purchasing a home, that's where you're like, oof, I don't know if I want to spend more than I'm already spending. Right, right. Because um, it, it would change up the budget a bit. Sure. And I, you know, we can talk through like what I have in savings. I do have a very healthy amount for a down payment. You have payment. a great um, amount for a down payment. Yeah. I, so. So yeah, let's go through, let's go through that. Yeah. So I, I think as I mentioned, like over the past five years or so, I've really tried to kind of nail down my budget and like get really tight with my monthly spending so that I'm actually saving and not just doing what I used to do, which was like putting away money into savings. And then two months later being like, oh shoot, I need that you money. Need that back. Yeah. So um, I was like, I really got to build up, you know, an emergency fund. So I have about 15,000 in emergency savings. I have like 5,000 each about in a travel fund and like this kind of nest fund that I talk about. And then I have been very fortunate in that my parents have over the years gifted me uh, money to put towards a down payment and along with like contributing from random bonuses or gifts or things like that, that's at like 158,000, which is fantastic. Amazing. Um, What's kind of wild about the whole process is that I find because I'm basically looking only at condos in DC, because that's all I really can afford as a condo, mm -hmm. the fees just can have such a major impact on what the monthly mortgage ends on up. On what you can afford, right? right. Like you can afford, right. afford the purchase price, but it's the, yeah. the monthly fee that's going to throw yeah. you over. And, you know, some of these places... Uh, and I do, t I tend to like the co-ops in DC just cause they're like older buildings and I really like that. Um, and most of those do include taxes in their fees. So that's at least helpful to like understand kind of your all in costs, but yep. you know, some of these are upwards of a thousand, 1200 a month in Yikes. a mortgage. And so it's like, you're basically just adding a second mortgage on top yes, of Yes, you are. So that's where I just have a really hard time. Um, figuring out what I truly can afford because to me it all comes down to a monthly payment. And, you know, I, I think I could stomach like going up to say $2,000 a month or so for spending on a mortgage in lieu of rent. But obviously there's like a Delta there that I would have to figure out where that money is. Well, and the out. other thing that's hard about those fees is they never go away and most likely they'll only go right. up. Right. That's true. Yeah. It's, it's something that when you're also looking in a high tax area, I don't know if you listened to the episode I did with Natasha when she was buying a home, mm -hmm. she could afford a much higher purchase price, but not the taxes. Right. Right. So we actually cut her budget significantly because it was the taxes that were the problem. She lives in a high tax mm -hmm. area. And so the taxes never go away. You have to make those payments and they most likely go up, not down. Right. 
unlike the mortgage that eventually gets paid off, you will still always have those carrying costs. Right. So it's really important to make sure the numbers work for you. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't, right, you probably will end up wanting to sell and move. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm going into this like hoping it's obviously not the place that I live for the rest of my life. But, um, you know, I don't want to go into it thinking that it's less than probably three to five years or so, you know, like at some point it just doesn't make sense. But, you know, there's a lot of benefits to renting, but I think also like being in my line of work, it's like, I do want the ability to kind of customize my place and just make it feel a little bit more like it's mine yeah. and um, a long-term investment and, you know, just a little bit more like home. So is there any, any, have you found any buildings that have like a reasonable, like yeah. maybe more of a townhome where there's. Um, I haven't really, no, I mean, honestly, I feel like once you're in single family, you're just, it's probably at least like 700,000 or something. And I really can't afford that. Like what I've kind of narrowed it down to is probably under 450. And really it very much depends on what the condo fees are in order to make like that 450 work. Like it would probably have to be $400 a month or something fee, which is pretty unrealistic. So I know I'm just wondering though, if you saved a higher down payment Mm -hmm. amount right like if you rent it a little longer mm -hmm. and in order right because if you're in a townhome and there's no maintenance fee and those are running not maintenance fee there's no co-op right or condo right. and those are running you're, you're saying like a thousand dollars I mean it, it it depends but it's and most of those where they are a thousand again I'm I'm tending to look more towards the co-ops where they include the taxes so I don't actually really know what the breakdown is usually between taxes and just like the co-op fee itself or condo fee but that's what I would I would look at because you could do a larger down payment on a higher purchase price mm -hmm. place right to get the monthly PM you know principal and interest down right but also you need I what I would do is I would compare what that maintenance amount would be as an actual mortgage mm -hmm. like what is a thousand dollars a month, I would think, I'm just wondering what it works out to be as like a mortgage, what would it be? So then you can compare it that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if you were going to spend a thousand dollars a month in maintenance, would, what would that actually, if you did that as a mortgage amount, right? Then maybe right. you could actually afford more. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a monthly payment of $900 in a mortgage amount for a 30 year fix with a 6% interest is $150,000 loan amount. Mm -hmm. You know, assuming I put everything down that puts me at like 300,000 or something for. Well, yeah, that's why I was like, I, I, I would still venture to look at the higher price points with, mm -hmm. if they're not carrying in another $900 charge. Right. I think right? it's just hard. Like, I guess in order to keep my monthly payment around, you know, 2000 ish, even if I, and I, I say I'm using, I don't necessarily want to use like the entire 158, for mm -hmm. down payment. Like I'd love to have a little bit that's kind of like building of a house emergency fund. So yep. but it's like 125 or something. It feels like I still am kind of maxing out at 500 or so, like assuming yep. no, no additional monthly payments. And it's just in order to find a place that costs that amount 
and doesn't come along with like other monthly payments, it's like, I'm probably not in DC. And which is, it's reasonable to think that I would go to like a suburb, but I just, you know, it's kind of weighing, I guess, like whether it's more important for me to have like the place and more space versus being a little bit farther out. Like you're just pretty limited in inventory within actual DC as far as like, you know, whether it's a freestanding place or, you know, a, a single family home versus within a building. You know, I know because it's a city. Cities are always harder. Yeah. Because they're more limited. I agree. I think if you stuck around the $2,000 mark, you could adjust your budget a little, like your income a little and, and be comfortable. But yeah, it's the taxes and then whatever the co-op or condo fees are going to be. And then the principal and interest and then the insurance, right? Right, right. So, and I also just want to say there is nothing wrong with renting. Oh, I know. I know. And you have such a deal. Yeah, it is a deal. Yeah. You know, I think it just becomes, for me personally, it's like just wanting to feel a little bit more like settled in a place, I guess. And, you know, again, feeling like it's a little bit more of my own and I can make some changes to it and building equity in it. But I know that there are a lot of benefits that come to renting and not having to worry about any of the maintenance things and, you know, just kind of being like that's someone else's problem. So. And the other option too, when you Mm -hmm. live in a city, and I say this a lot to people who come on the show who live in major cities like you do, Mm -hmm. your first property doesn't need to be there. It can be somewhere else. Yeah, that's true. Where, you know, like it's, a weekend house or something like that and you rent it out when you're not there and you can design right. it and decorate it and it is yours. Yeah. It's just not where you're going to spend all of your time, but you could find something for like 250 or 300 yeah. and you could easily swing that especially with the amount you have saved and you could add that into your budget. Yeah. Yeah, it's and definitely then, consider and like, you know, potentially would add even income coming in. Yeah, or even if it just neutralized itself. Right. right. And covered its own costs. And you had a weekend place you could go to that basically covered its costs and you're building equity and you still get to live in the city. Right. And you're not like locked into all of your money being in the condo in the city. Yeah. It's definitely something to consider. Just start throwing it out there as an alternative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard because like, I'm not there. I have obviously had moments of looking at this savings that's sitting in a high yield interest, you know, bank account. Um, and I'm like, Oh my God, this should have been in the market, but obviously wanted to have it accessible. And then moments where I'm like, Oh my gosh, thank God it wasn't in the market. Thank goodness, yeah. Um, and you know, right now I'm making like a close to $500 a month, probably on interest on that one account. So like, it's definitely doing okay right now, but it's just hard to, I guess, you know, I want to have some clarity as to what that money is for, because it could also be going towards other goals or, or, you know, furthering itself in other ways. So I've kind of been protecting it and keeping it in high yield savings, but it was just- I agree with you. If it, when the market was going up, I'm sure you're like, wow, this could have made so much more money. <laughs> when the market is literally on fire, you're probably like, thank goodness, thank goodness. Yeah. Cause your purchase price would just be like down, 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 down. Yes. Yes. I think that in if you've made the decision, this is something you want to do in the next 12, 24 months, I, I think mm-hmm. it's appropriate that it stays in a high yield savings account. Okay. Anything that's short term, in my opinion, should not be in the market because we don't know what the market's going to do. Long term, the market outperforms usually a savings account. 
Right. But that, but that long-term is like a four to six year cycle. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's hard. I've had, I feel like that question is one of the most common questions I get about like the mm-hmm. down payment money. Like does, should it stay there or like money that you're saving for a wedding or any big life things. Right. Egg freezing, all that. And I'm like, yes, it definitely needs to, because unless you're comfortable with 20%, it being 20% less when you're yeah. ready to use it. Yeah. And if that's not, if someone says, yeah, I don't care if it's 20% less then I'm just not going to buy the house. I'm not going to do it then, okay, maybe you have the risk appetite to be in the market, but most people don't want to see it go down 20% less when they want to use that whole amount. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And 500 a month is great. Yeah. I mean, obviously right? you know, it used to pay nothing. a year ago, a year ago it was like nothing, but mm-hmm. uh, recently I've been like, Oh damn, like, this is actually making some money. This is nice. Yeah. We haven't had good interest rates in the banks for so long at this point. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. the last time I got 5% on a savings was when it was ING and I think it was 2006. Yeah, I know. I used to kind of like look around to the other banks and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like they all just compete with each other anyway. So I'm just keeping it in Barclays and it's been good for, for now. So yeah, they all compete, but then usually they, one raises it, then they all raise it and they don't raise it significantly more. So yeah, they're all comparable at this point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you've done a great job for the house savings. I think that the decision is going to be, how do you keep your monthly? I agree with you that I think staying around 2000 is the right number for you and we'll keep it comfortable. Mm -hmm. So then how do you execute on that? Does it make sense to do it in the city? Does it make sense to not? Right. And those are like kind of more more personal decisions of, you know, how you want to leverage what you've saved and your income. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, so I, I, I'm, where I feel pretty good is like with my short-term savings and kind of retirement savings where I struggle a little bit is within like what I'm supposed to be doing and the rest of it. <laughs> Both <laughs> as far as like what those goals are. Like I know that obviously investing in the market and, you know, building up like my brokerage account is a good thing, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know what that money is for. And so it's hard to know what to really be doing with it or how to be more strategic, I guess, with like more of that like middle of the road savings, like what what I'm going to be doing with the next like 30 years of my life before potentially retiring or whatnot. That's a great question. So this is the way I look at it. It doesn't make it right. But I always think it's nice to have all three money types when you get to retirement. Mm-hmm. So I think it's nice to have Roth. I think it's nice to have IRA. I think it's nice to have non-retirement, which would be your brokerage account. Right. The reason why is they're taxed differently. Yeah. And so it gives you some strategy long-term if you have all three money types. Okay. Not everybody has the availability to get to all three. So like if you don't have the cash flow to do it, then obviously I focus on retirement because that's most important. And mm-hmm. if you look across the country, most people, their largest asset, aside from their primary residence, and that's not always the case with everybody, usually their largest asset can be their IRA account okay. from working. Oftentimes it's larger than their value of their home. Yeah. So, so that's great. So I, you know, most people default to just focus retire retirement, but I like if you have a choice and you have the the budgeting skills and the income, which you do, then to do all three types, which you're doing. So you're doing the IRA, you're doing the Roth, and then an IRA by people are going to be like, well, she's 401k. 401k is the same type of money as IRA money, right? It's right. going in pre-tax. And then at retirement, you're going to be subject to, RMD rules, which are required minimum distributions, and they mandate you take out a certain amount at a certain age. It's been changing a lot, but it'll probably be 75, could be a little later. And you, you start between 
around 4% distributions, maybe 3.8. I have to, mm-hmm. it's changing. It's a moving needle with the government. Sure. Um, with the Roth, inside of the 401k, I'm just trying to remember if I'm right or not. You do have distribution requirements, but then what you would do is you would move your Roth monies from the 401k into a Roth IRA. And in the IRA, there are no distribution requirements. There's no RMD. I believe there is RMD on Roth 401k. As of now, with today's tax laws, there is no requirement uh, distribution for IRAs. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So when you get to retirement, you want to move your Roth 401k to a Roth IRA if you don't want to take RMDs. Mm-hmm. That okay. might change. If I yeah. had to guess, they'll probably align it and maybe they'll grandfather in some of the Roth IRA right. holders because most people did that because they don't want to have to do RMDs. And obviously when Roth monies come out in retirement, they're tax-free after 59 and a half in five years. Mm-hmm. And then the non-retirement, right? So like your brokerage, your private money, that gets taxed, as you know, every year you get a 1099 for capital gains and dividends mm-hmm. and any interest. And then you get those every year. And then when you take money out, you pay capital gains on what you pull out. Like if you hadn't already paid. Right, right. You kind of pay a little bit as you go. But then when you do take a chunk of money out, people are always surprised. They're like, but I've been paying every year. And I'm like, I know, but you didn't pay on all of it. So well, pay. and that's like another heart. I feel like with my brokerage, I, because I don't know what it's for or like what the strategy is, I'm like, you know, if I were to have, I have, I have about 25,000 in there. Like if I were to need to take 5,000 out, knowing like which account to take it out of, you know, or which fund, I guess, and just what the strategy is there behind, like how to pull it. So you should be able to have them tell you approximate tax ramifications on liquidating inside of there. So Uh it'll depend on your basis inside of a particular investment. And they should give you, be able to give you an approximate. And then one thing to do with the brokerage account in a down market is you want to tax harvest losses. Mm. So people don't like to do this or some people don't like to do it. It's basically where you sell positions that you own when they're down, when they're losing money and they're negative on paper, sell them. Typically you stay in cash for 30 days. And then after 30 days or 31 days, really, you repurchase them. Okay. You do this, it's called booking a loss. You do this to take the loss because right now, if your account is down, which most people's yeah. are, your account is only down on paper. So that doesn't mean that you're not going to owe taxes on that. That's people right. hate paying taxes when they lose money. And I say lose money with air quotes. You don't lose money till you sell. And sure. so effectively when the account's down, unless you sell, you have no loss from the mm-hmm. IRS standpoint. Mm-hmm. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because these past few months I've been prioritizing my health as I've recovered from a nasty case of long haul COVID. I love that it takes the mental work out of getting my vitamins and supplements in because with just one scoop of AG1, you're getting 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, and probiotics. It's been super simple to incorporate into my morning routine because there's virtually no prep required and it tastes great. Plus it's way cheaper than a fancy coffee habit. If you want to give it a try, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash future rich. Again, 
That is athleticgreens.com forward slash future rich to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So in a down market, when you have a non-retirement account, I think it's important to tax harvest losses. So basically book those losses, put them on the books, meaning you can use them on your tax return and carry them forward for next for future tax years. And then when you do go to take a distribution, hopefully you have some losses you could use against taking money out. Okay. So, so the down years aren't necessarily bad. I mean, they're not sure. fun, but there's yeah. ways to be proactive in a down year. And that is one example. Okay. And I assume these are like the type of uh, strategies and advantages that like working with someone is where that becomes helpful. Like that's not something that typically your typical person like executes on their own, I guess, or knows to execute on their own. Right. Usually like in a brokerage account, if it's like a robo, they're not going to yeah. call you up and say, Hey, we <laughs> should nice tax job. harvest and take advantage of this. Right. So yes, that would be an advantage of working with somebody mm-hmm. to monitor that. That's one thing. And ideally you have somebody who does that, right. Who says, okay, in a down market when that happens, cause it will happen over the course of your investing life. Right. What, you know, a couple of ways we can take advantage of the down market. One of those is going to be booking losses, taking losses in your account so that even if we don't use them this year, we can use them in the future. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's good to try and have all three money types. And, and you do, just so we highlight this here, the majority of your money, well, you're very close with your savings, like your general yeah, I mean, savings, house savings. of that, you know, house savings, which I really sometimes just try to not even like mm-hmm. think about because to me, it's like bookmarked for something specific. And so, you know, it, it kind of has its job, I guess, and could. Yeah, like, it does. And it and it's making right. money risk free. Yeah. But um, um, so with your your retirement savings between 401k, your Roth IRA and your IRA, you have 258,000. So you've done a great job. So yeah. you're. I mean, it's a little disheartening to see how it was like, (laughs) obviously worth more a year ago, but, um, you know, yeah, it'll it'll definitely come back. So yeah, I, you know, most of that is like rollover from previous positions and then, uh, current is within this 401k and I'm doing the 6% into Roth and 6% into traditional. And one question I had, I guess is, so that brings me to 12% um, monthly, and then I get a 4% match, which is awesome. I do typically get some sort of bonus either throughout the year or at the end of the year. And my bonus is like somewhat tied to company profits. So it's a little bit like up in the air every year as to what it could okay. be. But I mean, to be honest, like last year, I ended up making 30000 in a bonus at the end of the wow. year. I was able to... Uh, max out my 401k with that bonus and then still had a little bit extra, which was nice. But that was the first year I've ever been able to max out a 401k, which felt really great. But part of me was like, I don't know, is that should I be maybe saving a little bit more of that towards putting into the brokerage account so that there's a little bit more flexibility with what how it could be used? Or, you know, I'd just be curious on your thoughts of like, how to prioritize those goals, like whether it does make sense to really just max out the 401k if that's a possibility, and then basically use remaining money to hit more like midterm savings goals, or whether I should try to like reallocate that a little bit. If I were you, because 30,000 on top of 110 puts you at 140 in income, 
Because mm-hmm. high, you know, you're in a good bracket for taxes. So I would default to maxing out the 401k. I always say okay. it's a good idea. No one has ever said to me, gosh, darn it. I have too much in there. <laughs> I know. I know. Never happened. Yeah. And I think then the more you put in there, the more secure your long-term retirement is. And I think the brokerage account, like having those non-retirement monies is great, mm-hmm. but I would focus on the, you know, the tax advantage in the Roth first, okay. which is what you're doing. You're putting the most in there because about what you have saved in retirement, you have about 10% saved in the non-retirement and that feels good. Um, right. And I you try- get nice tax savings. Yeah. Well, that I, I tried to kind of be strategic and like, um, figuring out where it was going to put me for tax purposes, like making it so that I was, because last year I had actually already basically maxed out my own separate Roth IRA. And then I started getting really nervous that I was going to be above the limit. threshold. Yep. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of putting more in traditional 401k to make sure that I was getting the tax advantage. But obviously I know there's advantages to putting it in Roth as well. So it's always kind of this like balancing act of trying to figure out, you know, whether to like take the tax advantage or to take the long-term tax advantage. Um, Well, if you were, you were already doing, you have a good amount in your Roth. So you were already doing the Roth before you got to this higher income level because you have 71,000 in there. Yeah. Well, a lot, I'd say most of that is from a roll. Most of this is rollover. Rollover. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I think it's good to mix it. Um, So you're in a 24% or you will be this year if you get the same bonus, a 24% federal. That's your highest tax bracket. Mm -hmm. So you don't pay on all of that, but you know, between 44,000 and 95,000, you're paying 22% and between 95 and in your case, 140,000, you're paying 24. Right. So a, a lot of your income is in above those 20 you know, above 20%, right? Right. And that's not including any state tax. Do you have state tax? Yes. I thought you did. Okay, I was just making sure I wasn't wrong. So I would err on definitely doing a lot. I think the split you have now is, and then what did you do with your bonus? Was that all pre-tax? So last year I had actually been doing everything pre-tax because of just like trying, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember what the, re- it was just like cash flow type of thing. Um, so I was able to, because I got a little bit of a salary bump this year, I kind of decided to rework the, like having it somewhat go into Roth and some go into traditional, knowing that it was going to cut back on my net income a little bit, but yep. because I was like used to basically the same income before, um, you know, before getting a bump in the salary, like it, it all worked out. So last year I did everything traditional. And then when I did the bonus, I think I, when I did the max out, I did like half it Roth and half it traditional. I would say if you had a bonus this year, so right now with 6%, you could leave the 6% in the Roth, right? Mm-hmm. Because then that's going to be based when you, oh, so when you do your bonus selection, do you just elect for that specifically? It doesn't change your um, existing, or does it go in? No, I was Sorry, able to do, yeah, I was able to like override it. Okay. And just say where you wanted those monies to go. Right. Yeah. Probably because okay. I'm the one that's like actually like calling ADP and being like, hello. <laughs> um, so this is what I want to do. It's a small business, I guess. <laughs> because basically I would, 
do the whole bonus as pre-tax. Okay. And then because you're doing 6,600 in the Roth and then the other amount is 6,600, right? For the, the pre-tax and then the bonus, I would just bring you, fill your bucket all the way up because you go to 22,500 then. Okay. And I would do that, the rest of that with the pre-tax because then you're getting a, a nice little chunk into the Roth, right? Mm-hmm. But you're still getting a nice tax break. Right. You're kind of getting the advantage of both. Okay. Yeah. That's what I would do. Okay. And this is the hard part because there's like really no right or wrong. I know. I like having right and wrong. <laughs> I do too. I the, I had like, a hard time when I first came into the business because of that because I wanted it to just be right or wrong. Yeah. And a lot of it's like, what do you like? What's comfortable for you? You know? Right. Yeah. And some people have strong preferences. Right. I know. I, yeah. I just really like, like, um, understanding milestones and kind of, you know, making sure I'm hitting like things that I'm supposed to be doing and, um, having a little bit of like reassurance of all that. So. Well, yeah, I think you have a good amount in the raw. So I would already, so I would just keep doing the 6%. I think that you're getting in the higher income bracket. You're just losing a bit more to taxes. Yeah. Um, and so I would just keep it at 6% to the Roth and everything else. I would do the pre-tax. And I think it's great if you can max it out. And then okay. whatever you have left over in your budget, which is, you know, you're already allocating money towards savings in your monthly spending. I would just keep that the same. I don't think your non-retirement should be as much as your retirement, especially okay. with your income level and your taxes. Okay. Because why, why put it through the tax machine if you don't have to? Right. Yeah. I guess it's more just, you know, obviously it feels like retirement is not going to be accessible money until like a long way away. And so again, I don't know that I really have like goals or a plan for It's not like I have kids where I'm saying I need to put them through college or have like specific goals in mind for more middle of the road money, but it feels like a brokerage account is where you're kind of holding, you know, assets for like, I haven't even bought a first home, but like a second home one day or like another car or I don't, you know, just more long-term things, but not necessarily retirement focused. So yeah. Just, and you know what I would, what I would say is right now with the current situation, without having even purchased or we're deciding where we're going to purchase, I right. would keep this, the structure for now. Mm-hmm. It isn't to say that you don't change it. Okay. So it isn't to say like, okay, you get into a house. Now we have less in, you know, short-term savings, right? Cause we have a down deposit. Mm-hmm. Um, a down deposit, a down payment. I'm sorry, a down payment on a down deposit. <laughs> we don't have that, and now we want to beef up, right, that cash again. And so then maybe you have enough at that point in your nest fund and your travel fund, right? Let's say this is in two years. So yeah. then instead, that 900 a month goes into the brokerage account, right? Right. And then maybe we say, okay, we would like to beef that up. We're not going to put quite as much of the bonus in the 401k. We're going to put that right. in the brokerage. So you you can always phase your life, you know, your, right. your goals, right? Well, so like right now, yeah. retirement, I think makes most sense. You're pre 40, you're making good income, you're high tax bracket mm-hmm. and you can afford it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe post 40, you buy a house and we need to reallocate the right. savings. Yeah. I think it's also easy to forget sometimes that like, ideally your income keeps growing. And so, you know, (laughs) it's like these things will change and, you know, you're hopefully going to have more to work with like later down the road. 
Yes, that's ideal, right? Yeah. And and if it if your income comes up, then we just you will have you will not be able to put more money in the four hundred and one k, right? You've already been maxing it out. So then your next default is the brokerage because you have nowhere yeah. else to go yeah. anyway. That makes sense. Yeah. And that can happen, or the other happen. The income stays about the same, and we just repurpose the money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Both are very likely, and both are fine. Okay, that's helpful. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. I think the linchpin is going to be the home purchase. Yeah, I know it. It definitely like will impact a lot of different aspects of my savings and like how I'm spending even just my regular, you know, money that comes in. So, yeah, I think absolutely. But other than that, I think you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. I did have a couple of questions about like, yeah. insurance. yeah, sure. So, I mean, I feel like as far as life insurance, because I don't have any dependents and, you know, I don't know if that will change in the future or not, but it's, it doesn't feel like that's like necessarily the best use of money right now, but I'd be curious about your thoughts about that. And then also long-term disability. Like I don't get disability insurance through my employer. And so I think as short term, I kind of feel like I think of my emergency savings kind of as my short-term disability, but I do wonder about long-term disability insurance and if that's something that you typically recommend or have thoughts on yeah so I actually like usually you get it offered through work mm -hmm. so I, I do like disability disability statistically is more likely to happen in your lifetime mm -hmm. than death yeah so I do like disability I think it just depends on what the policy is what it costs but I do like it and what sure. it covers I will say that I think when people hear disability they think of like a permanent disability mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't mean that it could be like an injury or like a surgery that goes awry or an accident or something. Right. Um, and you're unable to work. Right. I think there's a lot of talk right now with people who had like long haul COVID, like can they qualify mm -hmm. for disability? Mm -hmm. Right. Cause they're not, not able to function at the same level wow. that they were previously. Yeah. So I do like disability. Okay. I think it gives you peace of mind. I especially think since you're the sole provider for yourself, mm -hmm. it would give you great peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah. You have a very solid cash holding currently. Mm -hmm. So like if you were sick and couldn't work for a bit, you could just live on that, even though it's meant for the down payment, that would become a priority. Right. But yes, I think especially once you have a house, you would, yeah. I think that would be a smart thing to consider. Okay. Something I'll look into. Yeah. I don't, I mean, we definitely don't have that offered through work, so it would be something I'd purchase on my own, but I've looked into it a little bit, but you know, every time I look at adding another, whatever it is, $65 a month or something coming out, I'm like, Oh, it's fine. Like, <laughs> but is that how much did you run the quote? Did you get quotes on it? Was it, was no, it around $65? No, or? I I think I just threw that out of the air. I did do some sort of online quote thing and I never really followed up with it, but I'd have to go back and look. And yeah, again, it's also like, what are the terms and, you know, how yes. much you're looking to supplement? And it's just hard to know all those things, obviously. So, so much. Right yeah. Here. And so that it's great that you have such a detailed budget because you would just want to supplement, I would think, to lower the hope you hope it never happens, right? But you would just want to supplement your bare expenses, right? Right, right. 
Yeah. And I mean, I would assume if it was some sort of really long-term disability, then you also are being able to collect, you know, disability from the government or like, there are obviously other things, I guess, that kick into, into gear um, in certain situations. So it's not just like your income goes away and you're not getting it through other sources, but I just. Disability from the government is very hard to get. You have to hire an attorney. Yeah. You can get it. I've had a client get it. Um, It just is a bit harder to, they just make it hard to qualify. Sure. And and this is secondhand knowledge. I do not do, I do not help people qualify (laughs) for, you know, don't do it, but it can be hard to qualify, which is why I would, I, I do think it would be worth checking it out just to see what it would cost. And then that way you just file a claim with your insurance company while you wait to try and get, if you need a disability from the government. Yeah. So you have something coming in. You know, it's just one of those things you think like, oh, well, I'm paying taxes towards it. So I might No, you are, you are, you are. uh, Apply for it one day, but who knows? Yes, you do qualify for it through the government. I will, I just, right. So that, and that's kind of the issue right now that's going on with like, how do you prove the long haul COVID if it's brain fog, right? Like, yeah. So people for that are struggling a bit. And, and that's why it's not to say you, you won't get it from the government. It just depends on what you have and what, what they're looking for and that sort of thing. Sure. A lot more complex than it probably sounds. So. Yes, it's a lot more complex. But I, I do think it is statistically more likely to have a, you know, an event like that, obviously, than, than death. And it depends on what type of disability insurance you're getting and what coverage and the and they don't call it deductible they usually call it um a, like a waiting period but it's basically a deductible like how long till it kicks in okay and so if it if you wait longer for it to kick in your premiums are less because you're on the hook for let's say three months or six months or whatever the wait period is sure sure yeah so that's one way to lower the premium right and that's why i kind of you know feel like short-term disability just doesn't really make sense for something for me you to could cover it yeah I would just, co- you know, I'd figure out how to cover it. But um, obviously, if it's like a longer term, you know, a couple, a, a year or something, that would be a little bit more difficult. So, yeah, I think it's worth looking at and then, and then seeing what it, what it costs. Okay. Okay. And then life insurance. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess my mindset has always been like, until there's someone that would be dependent on that money, it doesn't necessarily make sense. But I also know that at certain points, it becomes more difficult to get and uh, more expensive. So I don't know if it's something I should really be considering. And again, it's not something that I like automatically have a year of salary coming out of my employer plan or something like that. Like it would be totally on my own. So, okay, so here's, if you think, so right now, if it would be terrible if something happened to you and you passed away, right? It would be a personal tragedy, but it wouldn't be a financial tragedy. You're not leaving anyone in debt. You have assets, um, which you should have beneficiaries on, if I did did not say that earlier. Okay. But if you're thinking that down the road, you want to be married and have children Mm -hmm. and you want to have dependents in the future, which you might not, then you could get life insurance now just to lock in the pricing. Mm-hmm. So a little story. So 28, when I bought the business, I was like, I'll get married at 30. I don't know mm-hmm. why I thought that. That's what I thought. Cause that's what, what? <laughs> that's what we were told what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, you work and then at 30, you'll get married. 
and then you'll keep working. And so I was like, maybe I'll get married a little later. But in my head, I was like, you know, I'll get married soon. So I bought a term policy to cover the risk on the business, right? Because I owed, I bought it. So I had a loan on it. And then I bought more insurance because I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to buy it for, I used to call it my future family. Mm-hmm. So I locked it in at 28. So now fast forward, I'm 38. I am um, getting married. So I'm glad that I have the insurance. Right. I bought it a little premature, but it was really cheap. Right. Really cheap. So worth it. But, you know, someone could say, well, you shouldn't have bought it back then. You should have bought way less insurance back then because, you you know, 10 years you didn't, mm-hmm. you know, just had a lot of insurance. But it was, like, really affordable, and I locked it in. And I had a health care at one point, and I was like, thank goodness I had already bought this. Yeah. Because obviously that would have changed underwriting if that – I ended up being fine. But had it not been fine, it would have been like, oh, not insurable. <laughs> right. So that's like a personal decision of like where you see your life going or where you want your life to go. Like, Mm -hmm. do you want to lock it in now because you think you're going to need it in the future and you don't want to risk trying to get it in five years or six years? But like if you had, if you locked in 20 year term insurance 10 years ago, does that mean like it's really only valid for another 10 years, right? Correct. So I did go and buy another policy for 30. Okay. Gotcha. So now I have like dual. So what basically the way I look at it is I'm going to have dual coverage for a very high risk period of my life, probably. Right. right. Um, and then the coverage will sunset a bit. Okay. So I would do 30. Yeah. If you're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. At 28, you know, even though everyone said to do 30, I was like, God, 30, 30 years. We're going to be really old. (laughs) (laughs) You know, at 28, that felt really old, you know? No, yeah. I'm 38, and I was like, "Gosh, Barbara, at 28, you were dumb. You should have bought <laughs> Yeah, I probably still would have needed more, right? Because it would have only gotten me to 58 anyway. So mm-hmm. I was really young to be buying that much insurance, but they let me. So I would do 30. Okay. I know the pricing is like really usually reasonable. It's, it would probably be like 40 bucks a month. Okay. Uh, for like half a million, I think that's probably where you'd fall around, give or take. Yeah. Because you're you're below, as long as you have, you know, they, they ask you health questions. Sometimes they do underwriting, sometimes they don't. Um, but for five hundred thousand, you know, I would say between like thirty five and forty bucks a month. Right. And that would yeah. just be if that's something is if that's where you want your life to go. Sure, sure. No, that's helpful. Yeah, it's just really nice expensive, and you can always get rid of it too. Right. Mm-hmm. it's just hard getting it you know you want to get it when you're young and healthy you right always drop it down the road yeah true you don't you're not you don't have to commit to 30 years mm-hmm. you can keep it for 15 and be like yeah no I don't need it anymore I'm gonna get rid of it yeah just wish they gave it back to you or something <laughs> yeah I know yeah you, it's like well it's like homeowners right no, most people that's... never drop their homeowners but once you pay off your mortgage in theory you can yeah oh interesting yeah but most people don't. But at least with with term, it's like the cheapest insurance out there because you're literally just renting that insurance for that time frame for that amount. Right. So it's just, it's so it's really good leverage if you think about what you pay for. God forbid there was a death, what your beneficiary because it's all about it's not about you. It's always about the beneficiary, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where you know it's just figuring out what makes sense. So. But yeah, I would, but I would, so the term is pretty, term is really straightforward. The disability is a little bit more complex. Mm. 
just because of like, what is it covering? How much wage replacement? What's the, right? I call it the deductible. They call it the wait, waiting, call it the wait, waiting period. Obviously, if it was related to work, you would do workers' comp. Sure. And then you would also apply for probably social security disability. Mm-hmm. And it depends on the policy. I mean, I would ask if you were investigating it, am I required to also be approved by social security disability? Oh. Or is it independent of social security disability? So if they deny you, you still have this? Yeah. That's good to good to know and look into. And there are people that specialize in that. Okay. I think those were my big questions. Well, great. We went through a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Thank you so much. That was really helpful. Yeah, and I think I think you're doing a great job. And I know that we had chatted a little bit about whether or not, like, when's the time to find an advisor? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I just, you know, I'm at a point where I feel like I've got the foundation well set up. Mm-hmm. But A, I just really like having some input <laughs> from someone else. Yeah. And I my dad only cares so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also feel like there's just a lot of opportunity for like more strategic thinking and making sure I'm kind of, I don't know, just like crossing all my T's and dotting my I's. So, but it's hard to, I've looked a little bit into it and obviously pricing varies so much. Yep. And I think for me, it becomes a question of like, is it something that makes sense, like, will the return kind of outweigh what the cost will be? Or just, I I don't have a complex financial situation by any means. But obviously, if I can have someone helping me to like further my money and further my goals, there's a lot of value in that. But knowing kind of what makes sense financially for investing in that. Yeah, I agree with you. It's pretty, you have, a, I would say at this point, a pretty simple mm-hmm. setup, right? And you're very organized. So like if you have beneficiaries on everything, you have all your savings right. set up for what your goals are. You have the down payment saved. Mm-hmm. You're, you're like really hitting everything. Mm-hmm. I do agree that like if you hired somebody, what you would want from them is the strategy. Yeah. Right. Of like, okay, like is the disability really worth it? What is it going to cover? What do I get out of it? Oh, wait, no, it actually requires that I apply for social security disability and maybe that's just enough on its own. Mm-hmm. So I do just make sure that the, when you're investigating that the cost that you're being charged is enough of a value that you're receiving. Right. Like if it's stuff you're, you already know, like you already know to have beneficiaries on everything. You already have your 401k set up, so you don't really need help with that. Well, so but I, I would it too is like, what it should be invested in. You know, like I just, I am very interested in personal finance, but I do not care to be like picking and and, and, you know, keeping an eye on like the performance and making changes like that sort of thing just really overwhelms me. And so obviously like it's very easy to put things in kind of like targeted retirement date years funds and that sort of thing. But I guess more with like, brokerage and like trying to kind of, if in five years, I'm trying to kind of ramp up my um, more like uh, personal investments, you know, how to be selecting where that money goes. And again, like when it comes time to take money out, like where to be pulling from, it's just those sorts of things that I find really overwhelming. Um, Yeah. And then like the tax harvesting, right? right. 
Yeah, so that that's like that would be a reason to work with an advisor to be able to get help with those sort of things, right? Yeah. And then like, where do I get the health insurance or who do I go to for the disability? That those sort of ancillary things as well because they affect your personal finance life. Right. So I would just and you're right, the pricing varies so much and like oh how God. whether it's like fee based or asset under management or retainer, right. there's like all these different ways. So I definitely think the most important is that you're working with somebody who matches you, like who you feel comfortable really doing a deep dive. Because if you don't feel comfortable disclosing all things sure. about your life and your finances, it never works. Right. So I think the first thing is comfort level mm -hmm. that you feel like you, when you have an issue, you can call and disclose it and, and feel like it's a yeah circle safe. of trust, if you will, a safe environment <laughs> to not be judged or critique, you know, critique the person is there really yeah. to help you achieve your goals. And but with personal finance, the hard part is you like, they really need to know everything. Right, right. Um, so I think the first part is that, that you feel very comfortable. And the second part is that they're credentialed. And then the third part is that they work the way you want to work. Like, are you happy with an annual meeting to do a deep dive and spend an hour and go through all your questions? And then they can take phone calls and emails from there. Or right. do you want more high touch service, which obviously that comes with a greater cost. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it's, again, one of those things where there's like no right or wrong answer mm -hmm. to who you're selecting, but the options are so endless that it becomes yeah. like um, just overwhelming to sift through everyone and kind of figure out the, the pros and cons to every option. So totally. And also, it's always good to get a referral. Like if you have a friend right. who's working yeah. with someone who they really like, and they can tell you what the experience is like, that's always helpful. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I you think just want to background check them as well. Yes. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, you're obviously putting a lot of trust into this person and it can kind of feel like this Joe, whoever, who just got their certification and like, what do they know more than I do? So um, just a lot of options out there to consider. Yeah, I know. I do wish it was like a little bit more templated, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is, it is hard, but I think, I think the relationship, like how you get along with the person, their credentials, you, you just want to do like where have they worked, how long have they done this? Sure. And then like, what are, like, what's the service model? Like, what are you, how are you paying and what are you getting out of it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Those are my tips. Well, okay. gosh, we went through a lot today. Yeah. I appreciate it. Sorry for taking so much of your time. But... Oh my gosh, not at all. This was great. We, I mean. I don't think we've done an episode where we've really gone over disability yeah, or tax harvesting. I don't know if we talked about any of that before. So that's great. Good. So thank you for coming on. For all of our lovely listeners, you can follow us for our most up-to-date information on Instagram at Future Rich Podcast. And if you like our show, we would super appreciate if you could like and review us.